This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Well, the city of Philadelphia last uh, yesterday, I should say, passed the tax, uh, which amounts to one and a half cents per ounce on sugary drinks, soda, energy drinks, juices that are less than 50 percent and others. It becomes only the second U.S. city to approve such a tax, Berkeley, California, the other. The one here in Philadelphia is said to bring in about $91 million a year, which a large portion will be designated for the growth of pre-K education in a plan laid out by Mayor Jim Kenney. But the question being asked is, how effective will this be? take a look at this, we welcome back our friends Jason Reese, Wharton Marketing Lecturer, and Karen Glanz, Professor at the Perelman School of Medicine here at Penn, and also Director of the UPenn Prevention and Research Center. Great to see you both again. Thanks very much for coming in. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, we knew this was coming. I mean, it wasn't, a, a, you know, that this was unexpected. Uh, but I guess the question to be asked is, how effective will a, a tax of one and a half cents per ounce be on a city which in many cases, has lower income and does have an obesity problem. Karen? Well, that's a great question. (laughs) And it's one that uh, we'll be interested to see the answer to, and we don't know. And part of that is because last-minute changes in the bill, like within the last week, week and a half, uh, some of the horse trading that goes on at city council, uh, have changed some key aspects. The most important of those being that the original proposal was three cents an ounce. Yep. It's gone down to one and a half cents. But they've added a tax on artificially sweetened beverages, the diet beverages, at one and a half cents an ounce. So let's say that somebody said, who drinks a lot of sugary Coke says, oh, my gosh, the price has gone up. Look, I can drink the diet stuff and it'll it'll be cheaper for me. They can't say that now. In fact, now one goes up a little, the other one's going up a little. So that won't be, certainly won't be a cost-saving alternative for them. Um, And all the researchers and economists and people who have projected and tried to calculate and compute and predict the effect of a sugary beverage tax, none of them have ever put in that that, uh, diet soda tax as a component of it. So... We don't really know. And, and, of course, the fact that the Berkeley tax is relatively new, what, a little bit, about a year old at this point, it's still probably way too early to, to get a, a gauge on the effect of that tax being in place in Berkeley, California. Uh, yes, it is. There, there have been some evaluations that have come out, and they're kind of all over the map. Um, one that was published in a journal shows a modest impact. But there have been blogs and other reports that show that there's a lot going on. One, one key thing people need to understand, this tax and the Berkeley tax are not saying that the consumer needs to pay that full amount of that extra one and a half cents an ounce. That's paid by a distributor. Yep. The distributor could absorb some of that. The retailer, the grocer, the corner store owner could re- absorb some of that. So, so there's a trickle-down effect that we're not sure on what that's going to be. I guess we don't know what exactly the, the regulations are in terms of how that trickle-down actually happens, correct? Uh, that is not part of the regulations, and the reason is because the laws in Pennsylvania, and I 
from what I understand, it's uh, analogous in California, Mm -hmm. say that the city cannot impose a sales tax on a specific product. Only the state can do that. So this is a business tax being imposed on distributors based on the inventory that they deliver into the city. So then that type of a tax and affecting the distributors, how does that affect the marketing of these products and the companies themselves, Coke, Pepsi, all these different companies? Well, we know that the distributors and the manufacturers of these products don't like these taxes. They've opposed them. They've put lobbying money uh, against them. They've Hundreds of millions of dollars of lobbying money. Yeah. Um, And just in Philadelphia, I think it was thought to be around $5 million uh, towards anti-soda tax advertisements. Uh, so, th- so they don't like it. it. It will be a cost burden for them. It's expected that they're going to pass on much of it to the consumer. So yeah. prices are expected to raise, but they aren't obliged to do that. And, and we'll see. But there's a bigger story here beside just the economic incentive on the decision-making process of purchase of a single can or bottle of soda. It's the public relations story that yeah. this creates. And many people, that soda tax... Uh, The harmful effects of sugared soda have now been in the headlines uh, for a long period of time because of this legislative process. So it's a very indirect effect, but that's probably – many people think that's going to be the bigger impact if it has an impact on changing consumption behaviors that change uh, the impact on our conversations. Those those stories have obviously had an impact at, at some level because a lot of people talk about how much the the bottled water industry has gone up in, you know in the last several years. But still these are companies that are multi-million maybe billion dollar country, uh, companies each and every year with the products that they're putting out. Yeah, one interesting thing is that these same companies own um, sell bottled water. Yeah. <laughs> there's a brand that Coke sells, there's a brand that Pepsi sells, and there and so the company kind of is managing its portfolio in a way because, you know, overall they want their their overall bottom line to uh to be the most successful. One one other thing in terms of uh what's going on in Berkeley, interestingly, although they didn't start out that way, Berkeley has now decided to put a substantial amount of money now not talking tens of millions, but a fairly substantial amount of money toward um, health communication. Um, You know, you could call it healthy marketing, um, behavior change programs, because they realize that just having the tax there and then having the tax be eroded away to some degree, depending on the different sellers, um, could, could probably be affected more. It could be more successful if we'd also promote it and not just with the background noise that Jason's talking about with all this political right. ads. Yeah, and we don't know how big a part of the story that's going to be here in Philadelphia. And in fact, the tax was explicitly directed toward the rev- as, a, as a revenue generating mechanism, yeah. n- not as a health story. Yep. Um, now, of course, the health story is in the background and was certainly in the back of the minds of men, in front of the minds of many of the counselors who were involved. But it's it's called a revenue generating mechanism for for pre K primarily. And, and, and yeah, and that's that that's what part of the marketing message has been by the American Beverage Association and such over the last uh, month or so is the fact that it, it was originally perceived as. It, or at least it felt like it was all going to be going, all of the money, all the potential $91 million going towards pre-K. And that has been kind of dis, uh, deciphered a little bit that, you know, it's like 50 or 60% of what is going to go to pre-K. And then part of it's going to go to a variety of other, for, uh, other pieces of the puzzle. So the question I have is, is that 
and maybe it's similar to what happened in New York City before, is without this designation of this money going to pre-K, does this bill even pass here in Philadelphia, do you think? If it had just been on health grounds, I think it would have been a much tougher battle within city council. Karen? Yeah, I mean, in the, not only did this bill pass yesterday, finally, it had, yep. it had preliminary votes and then passed uh, with a vote of 13 to 4. Um, a, a lot of people got their pet uses for the money into the project, including the mayor, I might add, yeah. who, um, you know, got some uh, backlash from people saying, wait a minute, you're going to put some of this into the general fund. Um, you're going to put some of this into uh, helping the pension plan. Um, and so the way it stands, they released a, a diagram yesterday that shows the projection for five years that only 49% of it would go to pre-K um, and, you know, another nine cent to community schools, three cents to parks and rec, and then... That being said, though, 49% of $91 million is still a really good piece of change. You're talking about $44 million with a school system. Actually, the money probably should go more to the school system right now because of the fact that, you know, we have the potential of closing schools here in Philadelphia. So, But getting pre-K going even farther is a big piece to it, and $44 million does takes you a long way in that process. Yep, it's real money. 844-WHARTON is the number to give us a call, 844-942-7866, especially maybe if you're out on the West Coast, out maybe in the Berkeley area, maybe you've seen an effect of this, your comments are welcome. And again, 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. The other piece to this that's been written up is the fact that now that this has passed here in Philadelphia, and Philadelphia being a big city, the focus will be the movement in other big cities to potentially pass a similar bill. Oakland, California has that on the agenda. Uh, There's a couple other cities that have this on the agenda right now. So what we're basically going to see in the next few months with the November elections coming up is basically a shift of this story to these cities. That's right. And, And with many of the same players involved on both sides, the beverage industry will continue to oppose it and various public health groups supported by foundations uh, we'll continue to, to support it. Um, yeah, much discussion about what the next battleground will be. Some are talking about the state of Alabama, where obesity yeah. rates are uh, particularly high, and the impact there uh, could be even bigger. Karen? Yeah, I, th- I think that that's been the the turning of the story in the last few days. I mean, I, I have to say the Philadelphia media can't get enough of this story. <laughs> well, it's summertime uh, <laughs> because they don't have anything to talk about. So they need hey, to fill 30 minutes a night. Started back in March even. Yeah. Um, and, and so now they are saying that, you know, Philadelphia is leading the way for other big cities that it can be done. What will be interesting uh, on the first level is to see how other cities pull this off if they do, you know, will they go back to focusing on the health benefit, which probably would have never won the day here. Um, And uh, why not? I mean, you're talking about the health of your citizens, and that is seemingly a very important economic piece to the, the drive of a city. So for some reason, health gets pushed to the side in this. Well, you know, it's not as simple as saying health, because there are people who perceive it as consumers who perceive it as taking away their free choice. And then there are businesses who latch onto that because they see it as hurting their business. And so you've got this this mix of things. And the same kind of resistance was enormous with tobacco taxes. Um, But 
tobacco, you know, is even, you know, is a, is a much more harmful product. Um, and, you know, now it's the taxes are going to be whatever they're going to be with tobacco, but, but there's still going to be fights about it. Jason? Yeah, the tobacco case is interesting because, of course, tobacco consumption rates have, con- have come down considerably with, with notable public health benefit. The impact of the taxes has been thought to have been, was thought to have been largest on teenagers, which is where you're worried about initial smoking and initial development of addiction. Teenagers have less money, so they feel the taxes in a bigger way. Yep. Not clear that that will really be the case with sodas, though, where the tax is considerably smaller and the price per unit is considerably smaller. Well, and this was being portrayed in some respects as a tax on the poor here in Philadelphia, which, you know, that PR is PR. There's no question about that. But that being said, you know, is it is it the belief of a lot of medical professionals that this is the only thing that could realistically change people's habits, you know, to pull them away from soda? I mean, they, I mean, it's something that a lot of people here in, in Philadelphia, in you know, across the city, whether you're here, you know, in West Philadelphia or you're downtown or, you know, other parts of the city. I mean, that for many people is a is a part of their life. Uh, I think that it one of the reasons is to target is that it's been shown to be one of the biggest contributors of sugar to the diet and the attendant calories yeah. and, you know, uh, associated with causation of diabetes. Philadelphia, by and large, as far as the residents, is, is a fairly poor city. Yeah. And um, disproportionately, the poor groups are fatter and have more um, health conditions. And so the, so the story kind of, you know, circulates around that. Lots of people who aren't poor drink soda. Sure. Yep. <laughs> and some people literally saw this diet soda addition into it as, well, let's get the more affluent people, too. <laughs> yeah. 844-WHARTON is the number to give us a call. 844-942-7866. Your comments are welcome. If your city proposed a soda tax, what would your reaction be? People here in Philadelphia, obviously, in some respects, are happy because you're talking about money going to pre-K. Some people, though, feel it's an infringement on their personal rights. Again, 844-942-7866. If you had a soda tax coming up for voting your city, what would your reaction be? Jason, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, the I mean, Bernie Sanders made some uh, got some press for uh, being one of the early ones to point out that this tax would be regressive, and most analysts believe that he is right about that—that that it will have a disproportionate effect on low-income consumers. It, not necessarily because they consume more soda, but because food and beverage are a larger part of their household budget. So, yeah. in a literal sense, uh, that that is true. Um, but these, as Karen said, these products have an important role in people's lives. People care about them. While consumption rates have come down, they're still high. Um, I think from from the late 90s at, at its peak, it was about 1.2 or 1.3 can, cans of sugared soda per person. In the country it's now yeah. down to about one. Uh, so on, and that's on that's an average yeah. uh, across the country. One can of sugared soda per day. That's a lot. And we were on the other day talking about the new FDA regulations, the amount of added sugar that should be in a diet. And that's already more than should be in a diet. Uh, So there certainly are improvements that need to be made. You had asked whether or not uh, medical people think that this is the only way to to have a change in the American diet. And I think the answer to that is no. uh, But it's one of the few policy tools that are available. 
and it's thought that overall it will have it will it will continue the trend. But it's very hard to break people's tradi- or I don't say traditions, but their habits. It it is very hard to break their habits. But one thing that a lot of people don't step back and think about is there's nothing natural about this product whatsoever. Yeah. In fact, um, it was like 100, 120 years ago that some clever manufacturers, you know, created Coke with the great secret recipe. Yeah. And, uh, and it was marketing that helped, you know, kind of feed and fuel the taste for this. Now, it feeds into our natural taste buds. We like things that are sweet and sweet and fizzy. Yeah. And... Um, a little caffeine and and you know variations on the on the flavors. So this is a market that is really man-made from the start. In theory, it could be unmade, but that would be a very very long haul. As Jason pointed out, decreasing but not by huge amounts. Yeah, but but I mean, what is also the case is that I mean, children form form habits just like adults do, but they're very dependent for supply yeah. from from their parents. And if and, yeah. and if more parents make the decision and say, all right, there's all this press about sugared soda, it's starting to cost a little bit more. The FDA is serious about it. Maybe I ought to rethink whether I'm letting my kid drink a couple of cans of soda a day. If some parents start to make that decision, the habit can change uh, much more quickly. The, the question, I guess, is going to be how much uh, of a recognition will people have on this price increase here in Philadelphia if they're going out to lunch or, you know, if they're having having a meal, you know, at a restaurant, it, it probably won't even factor into it. it. It's seemingly going to be when people go to the grocery store or they go to the convenience store or something like that. That's when they're actually going to really be able to see it firsthand. You know, it, it's it's tricky, a little bit tricky in the sense that it's going to depend on what volume you're buying. Right. If you're buying a two liter, which is the common kind of family size that yeah. people will buy, it's going to cost like a dollar extra. So it's going to going to be unavoidable. You're going to see that really quickly. But if you're buying a bottle or a can or a glass in a restaurant, you're talking twenty thirty cents, and with inflation oh. being what it is. People may not even notice. I will say this, though. The one thing that if you think about a 20-ounce bottle of soda, which now today is probably about $1.70, $1.75, something like that, if you put – or $1.80, maybe even a little bit higher. If you put that tax on here in Philadelphia, that takes it from a dollar something to $2 and something. And I think you would agree with this, that the mindset of people, when you're taking something from $1 to $2, whatever those cents are, that ends up being a little bit of a factor in a person's mind. Yeah. Yeah. It's quite possible it'll pass certain thresholds where the difference does become more noticeable. Uh, but I think Karen is right. At the larger volumes, it's going to seem like a like a larger yeah. difference. And, you know, from a public health perspective, those are probably the consumers that you want to have the biggest impact on, the ones that yeah. are consuming a large, large amount of it. A couple of sugared sodas a week uh, is, is, is well within uh, tolerable levels of, of the FDA and most public health professionals, although I'll let Karen give the, the final judgment on that. So then the potential for the, the real, uh, the, the, the change would be at grocery stores, and at the, the big box stores, which are now like places like BJ's Wholesale Club and Costco and those stores where people are going in there and they're buying five cases of soda, you know, at, at a particular time. Well, more of those are in the suburbs than in the city. That's true, too. So, yeah. Yeah, that's so right. they may not be affected. Um, 
But, uh, you know, doing the math on something like a 20-ounce bottle of Coke or Diet Coke, um, the reality is is that the prices are enormously variable, uh, not just locally but nationally. You can go into an airport, and I, I was recently in an airport in, I think it was Chicago, and it was like 350 for a bottle. Wow. And that, the airports, they have a captive audience. Yeah. They jack up the price. And, you know, I don't think it costs that outside the airport in Chicago. But so people kind of, you know, take that in stride to some degree. Well, what if people are going to a sporting event here in Philadelphia? Down to, I mean, you know, the sodas are, are like the beers. They're, they're you know, probably 300% higher than they probably are in the stores to begin with. You're just act, adding on a little bit more than that, correct? Yep. Yep. 844-WHARTON is the number to give us a call. 844-942-7866. We're talking about the soda tax here in Philadelphia, which may very well become something that you will see on a voting agenda coming up in your town in the near future. Oakland, California is one of the cities that has this up for vote coming up in the fall. 844-942-7866. Would you... What would you do if a soda tax was on a voting agenda in your city coming up in the fall? Would you support it? Would you be against it? What would you say? Again, 844-942-7866 is the number to give us a call. The The process of this being implemented here in Philadelphia will be, I guess, January of, uh, of 2017. But again, similar to what we said before, from a, a perspective in trying to see what kind of effect this happen, has both fiscally and and physically on people, you're talking five years out, realistically, before you could get a, a, a decent handle on that, even though there's some preliminary data on the Berkeley tax right now? Uh, you begin to see a difference in consumption within a year or two. If you're talking about a real difference in disease risk factors or you know, healthcare utilization complications and so forth, you're probably looking at a three to five year trajectory at the least. And it's one of the odd things, and it's and it's factored into some of the projections here, is if the consumption actually does go down, then the income that the tax generates is going to go down. And that's, we've seen that with tobacco taxes all over the place. Which is an unaffected consequence of that health issue, even though they're not promoting it as such. It's basically you're, you're gaining that benefit of it as well. Yeah. But I don't think anyone's expecting to see a dramatic change anytime soon in the, in the, in the consumption rates. It'll be interesting to see, uh, even in the consumption rates. And your point is that the health benefits will be much further down the road. And especially if we expect this to have a bigger impact on kids where consumption rates are higher, uh, the health impact will be even further down the road. The other piece to this uh, that I think we talked about before is the fact that in cities— and I'm guessing this is similar to a, a lot of places around the country here in Philadelphia, you do have a lot of corner grocery markets. And those are the mom and pop locations. And, and I wonder what the effect on them ends up being on this over the course of time. Actually, I, I took that on a couple of weeks ago. Uh, a business reporter from the Inquirer uh, was curious about that because one of the options on the table was a container tax. Yeah. And the container tax would have only affected bottles and cans, not fountain drinks, which most corner stores don't sell. You can find them at Wawa and 7-Eleven and you know, fast food restaurants. Um, what will the effect be? In reality, the price of uh, single-serve type beverages, which is mostly what people are going to be getting at small corner stores in the mm-hmm. city, um, is about the same in the corner stores as it is in the grocery stores. So it's it's a big question mark if whether that's going to 
you know, change people's habits. The things that are really cheap in corner stores are chips and candy. Um, and and the reason those I'm bringing exactly this up healthy is because we have a lot of data actually showing that those are the things that kids and adolescents buy on their way to and from school at the corner stores. So, you know, it's some people say it's like a whack-a-mole thing. You know, you push one lever, you might raise the other. Like, yeah. oh, the soda's too much, I'll buy another candy. Jason, what do you expect to be the, the, the effect on this? I mean, this is still, you know, kind of a work in progress. But, uh, you know, you just said the, the consumption rates, you know, if they do go down, they're going to go down slowly at this point. Yeah, I, I think they're going to be part of a bigger story nationally. And that is increased attention on added sugar consumption, even though this bill does include um, added non-sugared sweeteners. Um, But I think that's where the main impact is going to be on the prominence in the public debate. Um, And we'll see where the next battleground is. Great to have you both here again. Thanks very much for coming in. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.